said, your problem is accepting. And I'm kind of like, what are we, what are you talking about, man? Like, you're just playing around with words. He said, no, man. So what you haven't accepted is that if you continue to live life the way you do, you will not become the promise you are intended to be. And that square between the eyes, because I knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, when I was out there avoiding uh, dealing with, with my stuff, there was always this sense of me, like not really even me, but this sense of what are you doing? Stop doing these things. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. This podcast is about midlife reinvention and transformation, right? So I celebrate and champion the idea that it's never too late to reinvent yourself. But I'll let you in on a little secret that I've discovered while doing this podcast. The goal of all this transformation and reinvention is not to change who you are. I've come to believe that transformation is about becoming more of who you already are, accepting the parts of you that are calling out from deep inside you, trying to come out and shine, and allowing yourself to be courageous and uncomfortable in order to become the promise that's inside you. My guest today is Jesse Hernandez. He's the host of the Learnings and Missteps podcast, where he and his co-host, his little brother Renee, dig into, what they do is they dig into the stories of men and women who have built careers in the construction industry in an effort to enhance the image of careers in the trades. (laughs) When I asked Jesse to send me his bio for the podcast, this is what he sent me. It says, I'm a salsa dancing, podcasting plumber who is also a continuous improvement addict. I am here to help folks expand their influence in the communities they serve, and I am committed to enhancing the image of careers in the trades. So Jesse is way more than a salsa dancing, podcasting plumber. And by the way, we never even got to talking about the salsa dancing, so I'm going to need to have to go back and talk to him about that. Um, But his real superpower comes from his desire to help other people. He worked his way up in the construction industry, first becoming a supervisor and foreman, and then learning how to train and develop other tradesmen as they made their way up to the next level of their careers. Learning to develop other people led him to his own major transformation, and I can't wait for you to hear his story. Okie dokie. Without further ado, here's Jesse Hernandez. Let's go. Jesse. Hello, Yvonne. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, I, I, it just struck me again how nice it is to see your face. Um, I always tell people how I, how I found guests, and you and I met through Clubhouse. So, my goodness, you have such an interesting road that you've been on. How did you end up starting your podcast? What is your reason for it? And, and maybe you need to go back a little ways to tell us, you know, give us your background and then the purpose of your podcast and why. I mean, you're so driven. This is, it's a great mission that you have. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yvonne. So I'll start with my entry into the workforce right out of high school. I uh, graduated in 1995. So before the year started with a two, which is a thing, apparently, I've seen jokes like, Oh, I don't need to see your whole ID. I see that it starts with a one. So I know you're of age now. <laughs> like, oh, wow, that's different. <clears throat> so I got into the trades and at a time when a message, the message I was receiving was go to college or flip burgers. And there was no, mm-hmm. there was like nothing in between. And the way I interpreted that was um, go to college or you're a failure. Mm. 
and my dad's a plumber. So that's, that's what kind of got me into the trade. And when I went out to work, it was, I was like at a playground, like all of a sudden I've got, I got some energy, Yvonne, that just, it's not, it's not designed for a classroom or an office and, and most professional settings. I, I just, uh, I, I move, I dance, I sing, I click, I, I don't know. I'm just doing what I do. And, and now when, you know, as a student back then, the type of attention I got was like, stop disrupting and settle mm-hmm. down and keep your hands to yourself. Like that was probably something I should have done more often was keeping my hands to myself. But what I started feeling was uh, less than like, mm-hmm. there was something wrong with me. And walking onto a job site, none of that stuff was noticed. Nobody noticed it. It and and to all of a sudden, I'm not less than. Wow. All of a sudden, my energy to do things could be harnessed, and it accelerated my learning because you know I'm I'm a tactile learner, and so when I'm doing things, like give me the information, and I process the information quickly. Now let me go do something with it. Mm-hmm. And that was the challenge in school and office space, right? Is, is I need to do, do something with it. <laughs> like, okay, well, let's stop talking. Um, <laughs> now, it, when I got into the industry, it was, it was a job, right? I mean, I was making money. I was supposed to save money. The whole purpose was so I could save money to pay for room and board. Um, but I, I did well. And I got a big, gigantic raise, oh, oh, almost doubled it was more than doubled my hourly rate within like 60 days. Wow. Yeah. So I was 18 years old back in 1995, making 1372 an hour. Like I'm a baller in my head. I was like, I got yeah. money. Yeah. So, so I decided to stick to it. Find my, found myself an apprenticeship program, uh, committed to that entirely and then just discovered more and more learning. So one thing that may come up as a theme is, you know, I, I, got, I talked to some gentlemen the other day and I was explaining that that Johnny Martinez was one of the first journeyman plumbers that took me under his wing. And he made it a rule that I had to buy a brand new tool every week or else he would send me home. Now, that's a theme that's carried through my life, except that it got to a point where it wasn't necessarily buying these tools that I used with my hands. It was tools of knowledge that I continued to add. Yeah, he was having you invest in yourself instead of taking all that money you were making and go yes. blow it on whatever, right? Yeah, He's like, whatever, no, no, no. Yes. Yeah, right? Yes, for sure. Oh, my sure. goodness. So, okay, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, so, so it ends up being this principle of investing in oneself. Yeah. Now, I wasn't fully aware of it at the time. It's just... Yeah. You're like, why does he, he would want send me to keep buying yeah. tools? What the heck? If I didn't show up with a tool, he would send me home. Like straight up. He's just, you know, I told you you need to buy a tool. So I go to Home Depot and buy a little dollar 99 cent tool and then come back and look, I got a tool. But it 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 equipped me for the next opportunity over and over and again. The apprenticeship school, same thing. That was information. That was a sacrifice of my time. The organization, the company I was with paid for it. But the knowledge that I gained from it prepped me for the next role. Mm-hmm. So that led to me becoming a journeyman plumber, foreman, superintendent. But along those ways, that's when I started acquiring different uh, sets of knowledge, sets of information so that I could help. Now, I didn't realize that I wanted to help. <laughs> so like early on, I just wanted to beat everybody. Like whatever it took, I was going to beat you <laughs> until I got to like the foreman role. Then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I could do things differently. I can make the environment, the culture, uh, the way I believe it can be uh, and like respect people and help people learn and develop themselves. And so I started fumbling around just doing what I thought was right. Then I started building uh at the, I, back then, I couldn't have called it this. Now I look back and know that it was identifying mentors, people that had experience, that knew how to build teams and lead appropriately. So I started accessing their information and incorporating it into my, my mindset. And somewhere along that line, 
there was a major transformation from hands-on install, make money to develop people. And one of my early mentors, Jim Jones, it wasn't like accidental. <laughs> he told me, he said, Jesse, you're, you're, you're a damn good foreman. You make money, you make budget, but nobody likes to work with you. People quit on you. Mm. And that's not a good thing. And I was like, I know y'all need to start hiring tougher people. <laughs> like, no, that's not the problem, Jesse. You're the problem. Like, oh, yeah. So oh, that's a hard thing to hear. So like all this time, years and years, it was all about what I could, I could produce, what I could show. And all of a sudden, he made it very clear. He's like, Jess, you make money. And if you want to advance in this organization, you got to do two things. You got to make money and you got to build people. You have to develop people. If you only do one, you're going to cap out and you're about at that cap. Continue making money. But if you're not developing people, you stay right where you're at and that's okay. But I, you are not okay staying where you're at. Like, yeah, you're right. So that let me down a pen. Luckily, the organization I was with um, operated under the philosophy of servant leadership. So I started learning a little bit more about that. And they introduced me to last planner system, which is uh, the lean system in our in the construction industry. And I dove headfirst into that because it was the system and, and processes. And it helped me free the chaos from my life from the way I approached or the way I did my job. And as a result of that, it opened up the space of, oh, I can, I can transfer some knowledge that I have. And, and the knowledge I had, some people want it. Uh, the, you know, my, my coworkers, and it started off with me just hook, meeting up with them at the bar to teach them how I interpreted the financial reports and translated that into my weekly plans. And different things like, but Hey, let's go for a beer and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I got, here's a big pivotal moment. I got to a point, I have a brother who's 18 years younger than me. I was a senior in high school when he was born and he was in middle school. He was a seventh grader. And at the time I was a black hole of need. So all I did was manipulate people because I'm pretty good at connecting. I've always had that skill or gift of, of connecting with people. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I used it for just selfish, selfish reasons. And when, when I, he got to seventh grade, I was looking at him in the same situation I was in. I'm like, hold on. Like his father's not present. Seventh grade was a really confusing time for me. And at that point in my life, I connected with the older guys in the neighborhood that were not the best uh, examples of what a man could be. Mm -hmm. uh, and I followed their lead, which added some difficulty to my life. And I noticed that like, oh, he's he's in the same boat right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Like, well, wait a minute. I could do something about it. I could be that guy. But I'm going to have to behave differently to be that guy. So I got super involved with him in his educational journey. Okay, so I want to back, I want to hold up because that's an amazing realization that you had about yourself. How old were you when this? So I'm trying to do the math, math, mm. not my strong suit. So, so let's see. Let me, I'm going to have to use my fingers here. <laughs> I might have to use my toes too. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, let's see, 12 minus eight. It was probably 2004. So that would be, oh my goodness. I was probably in my mid twenties. Okay. That's young. That That's you, 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 you figured something out about yourself pretty young. Well, it's okay. That's that. Thank you. That's fair. Cause I figured it out. It took me a decade to fix it as it, <laughs> as it does, as it does. Right. So the, the awareness came to my, like, I've got to change the way I'm doing things. I've got to be involved in his life. I don't really know, you know, there was that, the, um, the imposter syndrome of a, who am I? Mm -hmm. Like, I know, oh, I yeah. know my track record. Like I have no business being here and, and attempting to serve in this manner, but I had to do something. And, and so that was a secret. I feel like I unlocked at the time of it, it's, it start 
start where you are, start with what you got and just start right now. Mm. That mm. was all I could do. And so what did I do? I just became more visible and more present and there li- listened to him. And then of course, something came in the mail for this, uh, it was called like a family leadership academy. And this nonprofit thing was, was focused on building parents' capabilities and uh, engaging with administrators and educators. Because we come from very low income part of town and most of our, most of our community has very high regard for educators. And there is, we won't question them. Like in our culture, it's not okay to question. It's not okay to make eye contact either. Like you just say, thank you. And, and, and now I gotta say, and I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I did not have that. Me personally didn't have that challenge. But what it looked like was a lot of chastising because I, lacked respect because I didn't know how to listen because I need to keep my mouth shut because mm. I could not, I questioned to this day, I question everything and it's exhaustive <laughs> for most of the people around me, but I think it served me well, you know, like my, my mom and my dad, I'm in transition, fixing to start the next uh, leg in my career. And they're like, what are you thinking? Like you had it made. Why are you going to go start something new? It's like, well, because I got to, it, it's, it's the next thing. And I need to find out if I could do it. And I just can't leave it alone. I, I felt like I got mm-hmm. to, I got where I needed to get at the last place. And, and I think I can grow at this next place. So anyhow, um, so got involved with him and, and, and this parent group. And because I have a big mouth and like to talk and I'm not afraid to, for, to be, speak publicly and be at the center of the, I actually love this to be the center of attention just a little bit. Um, <laughs> so that helped. That created the situation where I became very involved with the, with that nonprofit effort and over, you know, a bunch of stuff. Anyways, then there was the second cohort of parents, right? Like my little brother was already going to graduate, had already graduated high school somewhere around that time. And they were working with the second cohort of students and families. And I got invited back to participate in that, right? To help guide them and, and so forth. Like, yeah, heck yeah. Like keeps me out of trouble because believe me, I need help staying out of trouble. I'm good at being in trouble. <laughs> and I was invited to be a judge or a panelist on the parents. So the parents were going through the similar program and they were the delivering their speech. You know, they've been working on developing the speech and they had to to deliver it. And they asked some parents that had been through the program to critique and receive the information to help build their confidence, right? Add some value to them. And they asked the three groups of parents, why have you, have you always been this involved in your students' educational career and why? What's the difference? And, you know, they gave their answers. And then this one, her name's Miss Dora, Miss Dora. She looked directly at me and she said, no, I was not involved in my first, my eldest child's education. And they're sitting at home in trouble with the law, don't have a job, doesn't have any direction going forward. And she pointed directly at me and she says, I heard you speak at the parent summit. And I heard you talk about how you got all up in Renee's business. And because of that, I am going to be in the middle of my kids' stuff, and I'm not wearing a a T-shirt from any university. I'm going to cry because it gets me excited. I'm not wearing a T-shirt from any university except for the one that my kid's going to. And I lost it in that. Like, I was overcome Mm. with emotion. I was in tears. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, you got sp- me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god! Uh. So I come home and and I was talking with um my friends. I, I was we were dating at the time. We're really good, great, great friends now. Maddie, I was like, Maddie, like it was amazing. She's like, really, I'm good because you know, blah blah blah. And I said, but um, I got to quit my job now. <laughs> she said, uh oh, because she knows the way I am. Like, uh oh, like what's going on in there? I said, look. The thing is, I am never going to be able to impact people's lives the way I did, Miss Dora, 
doing the job I have right now. Mm. It's, it's in the way. Mm. And I like knew to my bones, I had to do something differently. Uh, and I, uh, what was happening concurrently, I was on a path to pay off all my debt because I had a job at the time I was a superintendent and I'd been doing it for three, four years and I enjoyed it. But have you ever been in a situation where you're doing something and it's fun, you're learning it, you're figuring it out, but then it kind of seems like Groundhog Day at a certain mm-hmm. point, just over and over again. Like, Oh yeah. Is- I know okay. I'm in trouble when that happens. Exactly. I know I'm in trouble when that happens. <laughs> so that's what was happening. And I knew I had to, you know, all my friends at work that I wanted to help, it became harder and harder to help them because my time was more and more consumed with work. And so I'm seeing all my friends around me struggling, drowning, trying to figure out their new roles. They've been promoted, whatever. And I have something that can help them, but I can't give it to them because I'm too damn busy working, doing this job that I'm not enjoying. So paid off my debt. And then it was like, okay. You said when you pay off your debt, you're going to do something. And then you have this thing, this transformative experience that's telling you it's time. Uh, So, you know, I I had to sit in my thoughts and meditate a bunch and just keep my mind open for the next opportunity. And it, it presented itself that I was at another parent thing. I think it was like a leadership academy with the local school district here in San Antonio. And they were announcing this new off a uh, new position they were adding to every campus, like at every age group, right? K through 12, it was a new role in every school. It was called the uh, family support liaison. And what they were going to do was their job was to connect the students, the parents, local business, and the campus, bring them together so they can have a deeper experience you know, with the whole community. And I called Janice Hannon, who, by the way, she's an enormous catalyst in my life around that time because she really invested in me and and gave me the courage to to step up and do different things. Because in my head, I'm just a plumber. What do I know? And and she's like, no, 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 Jesse. She kept she wouldn't let me slack. She would never Mm -hmm. let me hide. Um, And so I called Janice. I said, hey, Janice, I heard about this position. You know, I, I need to make a move. And I think. I think I can do this. And she says, Jesse, when we wrote the description, I was thinking about you like, yes. I was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) So that day I turned in my letter of resignation and applied for the job at the same time. Well, I turned in my letter of resignation first (laughs) and then I applied for the job. Wow. I do things that way. Like, okay, I'm going to go. Faith, man. I love it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yes. yes. So the organization. What I expected was, thank you, bye. What I got was, oh, wait a minute, what, what are you doing? And I was like, well, yeah, I told them the same story. Like, look, I, I've been doing this work and it's, it's less than fulfilling. Yes, I make a lot of money, but I just need to do something. Like, it's, it's, I can't do this forever. I'm dying inside. And so they tried to offer me money and I'm like, look, I'm taking this job and it's about a 60% pay cut you can't give me enough money for me to keep doing this damn job. <laughs> they said, man, you're crazy. Like, yeah, I know. I hear that a lot. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, a bunch of breakfast, they asked me, can you please extend it, you know, more than two weeks? I say, yeah, like school doesn't start until August or September. This was like June timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. And then, you know, several meetings with a bunch of different people. Then they came back. And by the way, the school's not calling me. Nobody's calling me. I thought there was going to be like a line down the road, like come work at my school. And um, they finally said, Jess, what if you stay and you do the training thing full time? And I said, what do you want me to train? They said, well, everything that you've already been doing, just formalize it, package it, and we'll review it and, you know, figure it out. And that's what you'll do full time. And I said, oh, like I could help my friends. Okay. The school's not calling. They didn't know that I still didn't have a job outside of this one. And and so we sat back down one more time. I said, okay, look, I know the way things are. I don't mean that I can do this in a year. Like it has to be now. 
If it's not now, I'm gone. He said, no, it starts now. There's one project that we had just started off, which was Hotel Emma here in San Antonio. It was really fancy. It's a really nice hotel. If you ever get a chance out at the Pearl Complex. I said, we we need you to stay on that one. I said, that's fine because I, I'm okay with that. Everything else will take it off your plate and you're just going to do training full time. And it was transitional training, helping people transition from installer to foreman and foreman to superintendent. Because my experience was I got really good at being a plumber and then I got promoted and I sucked. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do because we had people falling out, like quitting, just they're on the verge of nervous breakdown. They're self-medicating, strained relationships, divorces, like the whole thing because of their damn job. Uh, So, so it was that it was to help them learn how to do their job, the new job. They were fantastic installers, but they had to learn this new stuff and nobody was teaching them. So that's what I did. And (laughs) the day I said, okay, yes, I'm going to stay. And this is my program. And we got everything ironed out. My good friend, Elizabeth, who I've known since elementary school, the next day calls me. He's like, Jess, my principal's going to call you. We're going to bring you in. Like, we're sorry nobody's called you. We had to get teachers. We're struggling hiring teachers over the summer, but you're the guy. This is just a formality. And I had to tell like, Liz, I sold out, girl. Like, I I sold my soul. I'm not leaving anymore. I can't do that. (laughs) Which, you know, it worked out the way it needed to work out. So ended up learning how to be a better facilitator, learning how to train and and translate, uh, I guess, the corporate dictionary to to the trade and craftsperson dictionary, right? It's, it's, yes, we are all speaking English, but it's different. And so I, I, because of my experience, I was had the opportunity to serve in that role and and that went that was an enormous amount of learning, very very fulfilling because I was helping my friends and and having major impact on our bottom line. It was it was great. Like I never, again, I'm thinking I'm just this troublemaking plumber. I have no business being here. That led to more public speaking, and I started um, teaching for a, one of the, for AGC Associated General Contractors. I started teaching for their CM lean certification. It's a certification in the lean space. Um, and I love that, right? Cause well, guess what? I'm center stage and I'm getting to teach general contractors, these concepts from the perspective of trade partners uh, so that they can also better serve the trade partners and the client. That led to my next job. <laughs> Which, which was a gigantic leap from some pretty solid experience and knowledge base to something I had no idea that I, even what it was, much less if I could do it. Uh, well, before I jump to that one, you know, I mentioned that I had discovered that I had a new responsibility in my baby brother's life. And that, that, that really, that was when everything my trajectory changed entirely. Yeah. So along that time period, I was struggling with uh, alcohol abuse and not just alcohol. You know, I've talked to people uh, and they'll ask, you know, well, what was your drug of choice? And it's like more of whatever. It didn't matter. And sometimes it was women. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it was work. Sometimes it was marathon running. Like it doesn't matter I will overindulge, not overindulge. I will just um, irresponsibly consume things to get away from dealing with myself, with whatever it is I have going on mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And so that was happening in the background, me learning how to be okay with me mm-hmm. and, and, and getting in trouble with the law and ruining relationships. So it's not like it was this really shiny thing that I just was having this fantastic career. No, I was really struggling in the background. So there was these immense. Thank you for sharing that. Cause that, I think people need to know that, um, you know, you, you, you see what somebody else is doing in the world and it's so easy to watch what they're doing and how they present 
and think they've got it all figured out and underneath it, we're all struggling. Mm. You know, we're, we're all trying to put our best face forward and make it all look good and packaged up and do the, the curated Instagram feed and mm-hmm. the curated Facebook feed. And um, in the meantime, there's a lot of real stuff going on underneath that we're not sharing with each other. And, and then it feels, and then we feel alone and lonely and we're yes. the only ones. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. And it's important. I'm, I'm glad that you're receiving it. Uh, it's absolutely important because the amount of money that I spent on legal fees, I could have paid for a doctorate degree or and built a brand new damn house. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was happening along the way. Then I get to uh, to this point where I'm teaching at the CM Lean Certification and the general manager of South Texas for Turner Construction, which is a juggernaut of a construction company nationally and even globally, he reaches out and says, hey, Jess, I want to talk. I got this. We got this job. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever. Let's talk. Completely satisfied in my work. You know, at the time I was I was teaching, you know, the, the training stuff. We had launched an internship program for high school students uh, to get them to experience the trades between their junior and senior year, which was a big deal. Uh, we launched a, an ESL class for some of the folks that that had the skill set to lead. But we, they couldn't, they reached a point where they couldn't really serve in the foreman role because they couldn't communicate. Mm. And they're like, well, that it's not their fault. Like we can help them with that. So we found some local resources, put some English classes together. So there was a lot of things. Like I was very happy in my job because I was be able to affect people's lives and help people grow and realize new things. Um, and also help the company make money, right? Like my boss told me, you got to, make money and develop people. It's like, I'm doing that. Um, and so we talked and he says, Hey, you know, we need a lean guy. It's a regional role. And, and I think you're the guy for it. And I said, like, okay, well, what does that mean? What he's like, well, you're going to get to do all your lean stuff, you know, all your sticky note stuff and whatever. I'm like, like, okay. I didn't believe him. I swear. I didn't believe him. I said, you're just trying to get me in over there. You're going to let me play around and do the thing I like to do. And then you're going to stick me in a MEP role, mechanical, electrical, plumbing. And if that happens, I'll quit. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I have that right now. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I don't mind it so much. But there was a point in my career where every time I drove by a job or a job site, a building that I worked on, it meant something to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I worked on that job and oh, I played a role on that job. But it got to a point where I look at these buildings and all they are are budgets and schedules. They are not as meaningful as they used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. So when it when that happens, I go, well, yeah, something this I can't do that anymore. And so I was clear with him, like, I don't care. I can do that work. I don't care about it enough to do it well. So please don't put me there because I'll leave. He's OK, fine. I got to meet the people. He set up a, a trip to Dallas and I got to meet other people that were in the role. Cause I'm like, you're telling me this, but I want to meet people that are actually doing it. Cause I don't really believe you. <laughs> and they flew me up to Dallas. I got to meet, I didn't realize it ended up being my interview. And it was like a relay interview, like six people that I sat down and talked with for half an hour to an hour. And it was this group conversation about, you know, my background and how I do things and, uh, so, so I took that leap and it was, that one was probably the most intimidating leap because as a trade partner plumber, um, there's, I, I believed until that time that every general contractor, they're just a bunch of dummies that, that don't know how to build. Well, it turns out they know how to build and they're not all dummies. And when I say dummies, I want to be clear that in the industry, there are, there is a way it uh, a culture on on the job site that is not um, conducive to people growing comfortably and and it's rough and you get cussed at, you get yelled at, you get screamed at, you get threatened, and that's the typical style of motivating people right like it mm. it's tough 
Um, and then we wonder, why don't people want to enter the industry? Well, because nobody really wants to sign up to get treated like dirt. Uh, but these folks, I swear, they have, every pe- everyone that I've met, every team that I worked with, treats trade partners with a respect that is largely absent in our industry. And that was critically important because the trade partners, the craft workers, the men and women that are out there doing the work are the real value creators. They're the ones that are delivering what the clientele is seeking, the, the, what the students are going to be learning in, what the doctors and nurses are going to be uh, saving lives within. It is the men and women that do the work that provide that. Everybody else, their job is to make it easy for them to do their damn Support, job. Support, right? Yeah. Period. So Period. Let me ask you a question because I want to mm-hmm. get on you with your the the idea of where where in your life path you are at this point. How old are you when you took this leap into doing this lead role? I was, I think I was 30. No, no, no. I was 40. I was 40, 40 years old. Yeah, okay. so it's three, just over three years ago. Okay, so this is where you're starting to hit midlife, right? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I the reason I ask is because um, when I started the podcast, I was thinking, okay, who who am I? Who am I talking to? And in mm. my mind, I was like, I'm talking to probably people circling 50. But what I have come to realize is that my own midlife journey started in my mid 30s. Mm. It really did. And like my forties were tough. Mm. So I'm curious about where you feel like your midlife, where do you think the rubber hit the road for you as far as like midlife? For me, that period of time happened in my Mm -hmm. thirties. It was, it was 100%. I had a nickname. One of my nicknames, I had a bunch of nicknames, but one of my nicknames at work was death. (gasps) Jesse. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the most cuddly person to be around. And also part of my responsibilities was to um, execute uh, performance evaluations and performance plans and terminations. Mm-hmm. And I had no problem doing it, uh, knowing that I did everything I can to invest in the person and help the person overcome the situation. It was very easy for me to say, okay, you know, we tried and it's time for you to go. See you later. Yeah. And, and anyhow, so that was one of the things now made two major things happened in my thirties. Uh, and it was a result of my, um, on long going battle with addiction. I came across the book, um, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing, one couple of few sentences in there that I live by now, like transformed me. Uh, and I'm going to jack it up. So it's not exactly the way he wrote it. It's translated to Jesse speak. Uh, but the message was there's a space between stimulus and response. And within that space lies our power to choose. The more- I need to read that. Oh, sorry, oh my I God. You. No, you're sorry. fine. You're, 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 you, this book is Oh my goodness. Inside that space lies our power to choose. Oh my gosh. That is okay. So keep going. Sorry. And, and the more we choose, the greater that space becomes Mm. right Mm. now at that point in my life, I was pretty popular with SAPD Uh, getting arrested, you know, with a more than normal frequency that people don't need to get arrested as often as I do. But I thought it was because of bad luck. You know, I thought the relationships that were ending was just, you know, women that couldn't keep up with me. It was very easy for me to to assign blame to every, you know, the promotions I wasn't getting, the raises, all these things. Prior to reading that, it was bad luck and people were just, they couldn't understand the amazing Jesse. They just couldn't appreciate, right? Like I had this, crooked way of seeing life. I read that and it was bam, hit me right between the eyes. Like, no, it's because of the way I respond to things. Every time something challenges me emotionally, because I am an emotional weakling, like it's very, I'm learning how to embrace those uncomfortable moments where I'm feeling something um, that, that, that is squishy. <laughs> it's, it's like, I'll usually just run from it. 
And you know what? When I run to a bottle, that's not a good formula. Mm-hmm. So I, I, there was that space. There was a stimulus. And I had, I, what happened after the stimulus was 100% up to me. Mm-hmm. So I had to take ownership of that. Mm. So I started doing that. And guess what? All of a sudden, my luck changed. Right? I stopped drinking. I started seeking resources that would help me deal with everything that I was avoiding for so many years. And when I say everything avoiding, I'm not talking about just the bad stuff. Like I was also ill-equipped to, to celebrate and mm. to accept positive feedback, to accept observations from people that were saying nice things about me. I, I just didn't feel anything. So there was this emotional baggage that I'd been carrying for so long, thinking that I had gotten rid of it. They didn't go anywhere. I just stuffed it to the point where I could no longer stuff it and I had to face it. And so that, that, those few lines of, of thought helped me begin to face it. Now, I wish it was just like a light switch where, okay, got it. And I'm good. It, 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 well, again, you've it, it never it, is, man. It never is. Don't it's, you wish? <laughs> I, I keep testing the theory. Like, well, maybe I can go and, you know, just have a couple of drinks or whatever. So I ended up getting arrested again. Uh, and this time I'm facing like serious two to 10 years prison time. Oh, um, and, yeah, and it was, it was, a, you know, it was an interesting time. And so I checked, I know that when, when I need to change, when I need to stop drinking, I need help. I cannot do it on my own. So I took the advice of my attorney. He's like, you need to go to this rehab facility. And I said, well, my insurance covers this one. And he was very clear with me. He said, Jess, you can go to that country club if you want to go to prison. If you want to stay out of prison, you need to go to this one. Well, my insurance didn't cover it. So I had to pay. And he's like, again, what do you want to do? You want to go to prison? Do what you want to do. Say, yes, sir. I'm going to go. So in, I checked in. It was, and then it was like, it wasn't outpatient. It was inpatient. Like, well, wait a minute. Like, what do you mean inpatient? I got a job. You know, there's all this ego. Wow. What it was is 100% ego. In my head, I'm convinced that, well, if I'm not at work, subconsciously, I think, because I don't really believe it, but I think that's what happens in me is, if I'm not there, what nobody's going to, everybody needs me. They really don't, right? They, they really, really don't need me as much as I want them to. Um, so checked into the rehab. And again, I intended to get by with my smile and my articulate way of speaking and sharing ideas. That was my plan, 100%. Like, I know what I need to say. I know how I need to behave. I'm, I'm just going to do that. That's not what happened. Uh, I found that there were a lot of majority of the people that were in there. It was their first time having been confronted with their addiction. Uh, And they were very much in that victim state of it's just bad luck. You know, my girlfriend, she just got mad and called the police like, no, you were being dumb. That's why she called the police. And so I discovered that I could help them with my experience. So these these things that I had been ashamed of for so long served some value all of a sudden. And so I was able to, to share my insight and the experience, the different, like, because you could see the pattern. I'm like, guys, I know where you're headed, man. Like, if you want to talk, I'm here to talk. At five o'clock, I was at, in the morning, I was at the this same picnic table every morning journaling. And by the second week, there was a group of us that would meet up there and we would just talk through our stuff. And it was, it was beautiful. Like, I had never connected with human beings to that degree prior to that. So it was a new experience for me. Then one of the uh, counselors, his name was Manny. He called me out and, and that's their job, right? That's what they do. And he says, Jess, <clears throat> here's a trans- transformation moment. Another one. He says, Jesse, your problem is not admitting. Like you have no problem saying, my name's Jesse. I'm an addict. My name's Jesse. I'm an alcoholic. He said, your problem is accepting. And I'm kind of like, what are we, what are you talking about, man? Like, you're just playing around with words. He said, no, man. So what you haven't accepted is that if you continue to live life the way you do, you will not become the promise you are intended to be. And that square between the eyes, because I knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, when I was out there avoiding uh, dealing with, with my stuff, 
there was always this sense of me, like not really even me, but this sense of what are you doing? Stop doing these things. But I would convince myself, like the negative self-talk you talked about, I would convince myself that there's, that's just an imagination. I'm not going, I'm nothing special. I'm actually bad. I'm, I'm rude. I'm, I'm an addict. I have problems with substance abuse. I have problems with personal relationships. I am less than. So this idea that I could be anything more than that was just a far-fetched fantasy. So I always had that kind of feeling. And when he said that, you will not become the promise you're intended to be. That's what I was feeling. That far-fetched, far-fetched fantasy was me becoming the promise I'm intended to be. And within me, I was saying, no, you can't do that. You're not worthy of that. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, like I hear you loud and clear. The universe, God, higher power, whatever it is, done. I'm done with all that stuff. And, and from that point forward, I completely leaned into or gave my, I'll say it this way. I completely gave myself permission to pursue the curiosities that I have and to listen to people and to share whatever experience I may have, period. I don't talk myself out of it anymore. I just lean into it. And that has, that just continues to connect me with beautiful, heroic, amazing people like yourself like the people that I'm working with now, the jobs that I've been given, the responsibilities and influence that I've been given. Like if I were to graph that out, that point in time from there is almost directly straight up because hmm. of that. Hmm. What did it look like in your day-to-day -day life that, that, that aha? Like oh. how, did, how did that change your day-to-day your interactions. So the way it choices. changed my day to day was I had to start, it, it physically looked like me journaling and spending more time thinking mm -hmm. uh, because it's very easy for me to get busy because my energy, right? it, give me work to do and I'll do it, whatever it is, a new project, boom, I'm going to do that. Um, so early on, it was me sitting alone in my thoughts and, and writing out my thoughts, writing out some ideas exam reflecting on what did I do today that what, what opportunities did I miss to serve somebody appropriately? Like that was the fundamental question. What opportunity did I miss and how do I correct that? How do I adjust to, to serve people better, to be more present? And, and through that pursuit, I begin to see like, Oh, what I really, what I'm really called to do is, help people get unstuck with their stuff, whatever that is, personally, professionally. Um, and I don't have any, you know, I don't have the alphabet soup after my name. My criminal record is longer than my resume, but I can still provide value because of my experience. Mm. And, and because of that, I had to be courageous. And when that executive asked the question that I was clear to me, they were struggling with something at a deeper level. I had to say, Jesse, get over yourself and serve that person. And, and that's what I started doing. And sometimes it turned into looking like, you know, I got to a point where I was invited to the table with executives with enormous responsibility that I had never even had a, you know, back to the, the culture thing. Like I, Prior to that, I would never even make eye contact with them because they're the authority. They've got education. They run billion-dollar projects. I gave myself permission to look them straight in the eye, and what I was able to see is they were surrounded by people that were really consumed with their own career trajectories. And because of that, which self-preservation comes into play, and so they would polish the truth and kind of tuck away all the problems. But you can only do that for so long, especially on a project, you know, project somewhere between six and 18 months. The closer you get to the end, those problems are coming out. Mm. And the further out into the future you, you hide them, 
the bigger and more impact they have on the whole outcome. And so I decided, like, you know what I need to do because nobody else is doing this. I need to tell them the truth. I need to tell them the problems and not only pointing out the problems, be very clear of how they're contributing to the problem, how their behavior and their reaction to things is reinforcing the behavior that is undermining the goal. So and, this is you, this is the, and let me make sure I understand. This is you learning how to, I guess, speak truth to power. So you're, you're telling these guys that are, are, let's say, you know, just because you're, you're like, okay, we're talking about that cultural difference instead of having a deference to them because of their position in the company, you had to learn how to step up and go, wait a minute, you, this is what I see you're doing. And this is how I see it's affecting the job and the people below you and, 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 and. Right? Nailed it. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, that's, that's a huge step. Um, so I'm curious. So, so you do this and, and it's so, how long have you been doing the podcast? I've been doing the podcast. I think we're on 10 months now. We started in September of last year. Gotcha. At what point did you decide you needed, you, you, you've got a pretty big mission with the podcast. How did that come around? Because I'm hearing you the whole time talking about yourself. I'm just a plumber. I'm a, I'm mm -hmm. just a plumber who gets in trouble. Um, you know, and, yes. <laughs> and so I'm hearing, and, and my, this is very funny because my mission has become more and more clear to me as I do my podcast that I, I want us to rethink aging and ageism mm -hmm. yes. and not, not only the way, the way that we're treated as older people, you know, on the job being let go because we're of an age or not getting hired because we're of an age, but also the way we think about ourselves, Yes, you know, and because we tell ourselves the story that we're getting older and, and that all these things come with that. And so it justifies, you know, the fact that, you know, the fact that we're, we're, we decide to slow down or we put limitations on ourselves. And I'm hearing you talk about the, just a plumber, but the whole point of your podcast is to elevate the perception of the trades. Yes. So, yes. ah, is, there's something really good in there. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, speaking to the ageism, I don't just think of myself as just a plumber. I think of myself as the 19-year-old fit and skinny plumber. <laughs> I don't think of myself as a 43-year-old plumber. <laughs> uh, but so the podcast, part of the reason I chose to leave TD Industries and go to Turner was, you know, my boss, Wesley Baker, who again was, he was, he helped me understand that the ideas, the crazy ideas I had in my head needed to happen. And that I had what it took to make them happen. Like before that, I didn't know that. He helped me realize that and gave me the space to do those things. Um, and when I talked to him, like I said, hey, man, I just had lunch with so-and-so and they've offered me this job. He's been very impactful in my life. Like, I'm telling you because you're my boss, but I'm also telling you because this is a major life decision. And, and he was a member of my, or, and still is a member of my advisory council. So I needed some direction from him. I needed his, his thoughts on the, the whole thing. And he asked me, he said, okay, I don't like this because I don't want you to leave, but where, do you, where are you going? Like, what do you want to do? What's your vision of your life? Like, what do you, what do you want? And I'm like, man, okay, let me think about it. And so here's where I landed. So what I, what I saw, what I see for my future at that point was to be speaking about careers in the trades from a national stage, speaking to educators, to parents, to influencers, to students. So then I, I come back and I tell him that, and he's like, okay, well, so he was brainstorming about how he could help facilitate that while I was still, still stayed with the company. But my assessment as I was reviewing this offer was, you know, the company I was with, we're, they had business units all throughout Texas, one in Arizona and, and in Denver. The company I was going to was a national organization. 
And my direct area of responsibility was going to be Nebraska, Wyoming, um, Iowa, Denver, or Colorado, uh, Kansas City, like all the tech. it's, It's a huger, it's a bigger geography. Yeah. And directly in line with my vision of speaking about careers nationally. Um, now that wasn't my job, but what it was going to do was going to help me expand my network mm-hmm. and help me learn how to, to navigate a whole new arena. And, and, you know, there was tremendous risk in that I was, I mean, I really framed it this way. Like if I go over there and have zero support, everybody hates me and I get fired within a year is the potential for learning and connecting with people enough to tolerate that situation? And the answer was yes. So that's why I took so the job. So worst case scenario, can mm-hmm. I survive? Here, here's what's like, because I think that stops people a lot, right? You, you've got the fears of what might happen if you're going to step into doing something, right? And and your and and your your lizard brain is throwing up all the things. Everybody's going to hate me. It's going to be blah, blah, right, right. But then there's the upside. And so what you did is look at it and go, okay, if the worst case scenario happens and this move ends up being total crap, yep. can I survive that? Is it worth the 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 risk of the ups so that I can get to the upside? Yep. And your answer it's to a- yourself was yes. One hundred percent, without a doubt. Let's do it. it. Now, what I didn't anticipate, because now it was a traveling role, because I was supporting all these different businesses across the central United States, I was less available to connect with students and and campuses Mm. because I had to work. Like you know, I I I have a a thing about time and planning my time out, so I'm usually planned out about six weeks out into the future. And most of the schools that I was dealing with, they plan within a two week time frame, And that doesn't really work. So it was always like, damn it, I can't make it. And, ah. Then COVID hit. And we had the lockdown. And so now not only am I in San Antonio, it's like, oh, I can go to the schools now. No, I can't. Because guess what? Nobody's at school. And I was feeling sorry for myself about not really giving back to my community because I hadn't been for like the first year and a half in that job. Um, and a friend of mine, Madi, she, re- she recommended that I watch the um, biography of Danny Trejo. Are you familiar with who Danny Trejo is? No. He's come out. I promise you, you've seen him in a movie. He has come out in over 200 movies. He's always the felon or the bad guy, the gangster. Mm. He's always that guy. Uh, And he, we have a similar story in, not that I'm a Hollywood superstar, but that he (laughs) has, he's overcome addiction as well. And he Uh is actually, he spent time in prison Uh, and they were asking him, one of the questions they asked him was, are you upset that you're never the leading man? And I'm expecting him to say, well, yeah, you know, it's whatever unconscious bias or no, he says, no, like I've been in over 200 movies and they paid me. like. Oh, that's interesting. And then he says, with the money they pay me, that funds my mission. Because I get to go and travel the country and visit prisons and talk to people that think they have no way out. Mm. And I get to share my story with them and give them some hope. Wow. Yes. And I just said, okay. Like I knew right then and there, okay. I got to do like, I'm complaining about my job. I need to stop complaining about my job and how I can make this happen. How do I make this happen? Uh, and then I, I had been interviewed by a friend, Adam Gates, who's got a, a podcast. I said, okay, I need to start a podcast. So I texted my baby brother. I said, Hey, Renee, like, dude, I need, I, I, I'm going to start a podcast. What do you think? Because he, he's, he's very, he's much smarter than I am in that he's very practical and thinks through like, what is the mean, what's the implications of that? And da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. his reaction was, Oh, so you want me to be your echo Charles? Like, cause the Jocko podcast that we listen to, they have a co-host thing. I was like, yes, even better idea. <laughs> so 
he was in it. I said, okay, good. So I called Adams. Adam, we, he had, we had dinner at his house. And I said, I need to know, like, what does it take to start a podcast? And he's like, man, you know, you don't even need to, he has, you know, all the gear, the equalizers and all these things like, dude, with COVID, like you're going to do everything remote. So if you got Zoom or Teams, that's all you need. And you need this website and you need this thing. Like that's the bare bones of what you need to launch a podcast. I said, are you serious? Like that's it. He's like, yep. And so you can see, I got my red headset. Uh-huh. I've always had this. I use this for when I'm taking calls at the office because they're red. And people know, don't talk to me because I'm occupied. Like it's a visual indicator that, yeah. yeah. Like, because if I have earbuds in, you know, I may just be listening to music or listening to your podcast and people (laughs) will take the liberty to come and say, Hey, you got a minute. But if they see red, they leave me alone. Well, it's got a microphone. I can hear. Mm -hmm. I got a laptop. Okay. I need to get a Teams account. I got to get Buzz. I'm used Buzzsprout to, to push all the stuff, you know, the episodes out there. And, and boom, we launched the podcast. That was, that's how that came to be. And, you know, as it relates to my vision that Wesley asked me about, I'm kind of technically talking to people about the trades from a national stage. Yes. And I didn't have that realization until maybe six months ago. I'm like, like, I'm doing it. (laughs) That's right. It's a stage. You did it. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. How did this time go by? It flew by. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was great. It was great. So what are you ex- so I feel like we need to wrap up because wow. What what are you excited about that's coming up? How can people get in touch with you if somebody wants you to come speak on their national stage? Oh where where do they need to find you? Yes. So the one big thing that I'm excited about a whole lot of things. So there's one I just got um, I've been given the privilege of serving on the board for the Skill Trades Alliance. And they're working to 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 get the message out there nationally about careers in the trades. Um, now, to get a hold of me, LinkedIn, I'm on all the social media stuff, right? Learnings and missteps or, or my name, Jesse or Jesus. Um, but LinkedIn is the place I frequent the most. So you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn or go to, to the website, learningsandmissteps.com, and you can access our, our rookie YouTube channel. I'm still trying to figure the video stuff out. And all the other links, you know, to Twitter or, or Instagram, Clubhouse, you know, like absolutely going to be spending way more time in Clubhouse because we get to really connect conversationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, so Skilled Trades Alliance is coming. The other things I'm involved with uh, are growing and developing, but I, I'm most excited about the next opportunity to serve, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I am so, so, so jacked that we got to talk and, um, and to hear your story and thank you for for all of the honesty and, um, and candid information about what was really going on for you behind the scenes. Um, because I think that it's really important for everybody to know that we all have stuff going on behind the, behind what we're putting out in the world. So, um, it's amazing. And what was the name of the actor again, Danny? Danny Trejo, T-R-E-J-O, yes. That, that you can make a difference. Like, oh, t- say, what did he say again? I, it was so he, good. He just said, they pay me and I can, I can use that money to fund my mission and go out there and Amazing. spread his message of hope. Yeah. And no matter where you've been, what, you know, we all have something to offer to help serve to, to do something. And that's what feed, that's what really can feed you and, and, you know, keep you going. Yes, Mm. absolutely. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Jesse. I I appreciate you being here with us. I'm going to have stuff in the show notes so people can come and find you. And, uh, this was amazing. Thank you. Well, there you have it. I love talking to Jesse, and I'm so inspired by his drive to help other people. I I find it fascinating that Jesse had a revelation about himself in his mid-20s. 
that, you know, in order to help his little brother, he had to get himself in order. And I want to remind you that it took him years. Change is not an overnight, instantaneous thing. Also, you know, he refers to himself as just a troublemaking plumber a couple of times in our conversation. You know, whenever we put the word just in front of a phrase or a description of ourselves, you can be sure there's a particular filter involved there, an assumption about ourselves. And that kind of assumption or filter limits our idea about what is possible for ourselves. We all see the world through our own particular filters. It's like a pair of sunglasses, right? So for instance, when I go for a walk and I wear my polarized prescription sunglasses, which I love, the world takes on this beautiful golden amber shade. You you know, you may have heard of the phrase looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. My sunglasses make me feel kind of like that. They make everything prettier, sharper, more defined. But I have other filters that I see the world through that often don't make me feel quite so good or serve me so well. I have certain ideas about myself, about what I'm capable of based on past results. And some of those ideas about myself keep me going, powering on. Most of the time, trying to improve myself because I'm always after some crazy ideal, some imagined state of perfection. What if I stop trying to improve myself and instead start trying to accept myself? Hmm. I'm, I'm going to go back to that quote by Viktor Frankl that rocked Jesse's world. I had to look it up. Here it is, and I'll leave you with this today. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.